0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vin. So, today we're talking about the buffer zone. And see, we got into this, because we're talking about my spoken word project. Mm -hmm. So I'm out here, I'm recording, I'm going to the studio, and this is very different than the last time I was here. So the last time, it was interesting, because I went in and I felt like a superstar. I felt like I had all this shit figured out, but I came out with something that wasn't a very good product. This time it's feeling a lot more awkward, uncomfortable, but it's pulling something out of me that's very different from what I got the last time. He's tapping into a part of me that... What the fuck is that? Just
1: keep talking, man. I'm giving myself a laser treatment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> keep going.
1: Just <laughs> keep going.
0: That looks like it's like straight out of like an 80s comic book or something. Yeah, whatever. All right. Anyway, okay. So today we are talking about the buffer zone. And see, we got into this because I'm out here for the Spoken Word Project. I'm going to the studio, I'm recording. And you came out yesterday. You were there with me. You were whipping my ass into shape. And you were shaking me out of this buffer zone that was preventing me from expressing the art the way that it needs to be expressed. So going from just reciting lyrics to making it a part of myself and getting the emotion out and the rhythm and the flow. And before you were there, I was working on this. I, was, I think I was going in and out. It was almost like a schizophrenic kind of kind of state where at times I would be into it, at other times I would revert back to myself. And things like rhythm, I'm just not that familiar with rhythm. I'm not familiar delivering my lyrics over a beat. And I've also got this tendency to analyze everything. So I want to understand what's happening and where exactly I should position the words and what the right answer is in this problem that I'm trying to solve. And that mentality just doesn't work because it prevents the flow. And I think this is the buffer that you're talking about. I don't know if we want to think about it as thought or control or analysis, but there's some natural latent fluidity in there that just kind of knows what to do. And So as you were saying, and Nick, who was working with us on this, was saying, just listen to the music and go with it. Don't think about it. It Just naturally express what you need to express. Lay it down. The second I start thinking about it, the second I'm in my head, everything gets distorted. And with enough effort, I think both of you were able to beat this out of me, and I got to a point where it was more fluid, or at least enough parts were fluid where we can piece something together, which should be compelling. Uh, But it's weird for me because this analytical buffer seems to always be there, and even at the times it disappears, I'm not sure how to turn it on and off. It's like such a deep part of me that I don't know how to be anything else. I guess I can get shaken out of it, so if someone comes and smacks me across the face or gets enough emotion coursing through me, it's almost like a switch flips and I can get into this more fluid state. But if I'm just walking around normally, it's not something that I can turn on and off and I'm not even aware that it's on, it's just there. Uh, But the other interesting thing about doing the work in the studio the recording work it felt very similar to what we do over here and that kind of blew my mind because the emotions that I was feeling and the anguish that I was going through trying to figure this out it's the same as being here with you and you're telling me oh just punch just punch just drop your foot into a hole that's a jab just flow through an asana that's a yoga don't look at yourself in the mirror don't think about it don't correct yourself just feel whatever the natural expression is of the movement and I get to the same short-circuiting point over here uh, where it's just kind of like i don't understand what you're telling me what to do and at some point there's that short-circuiting and the need to understand blows itself up and then i can get past the analysis and start to move or i can start in the case of the spoken word to deliver things naturally to a rhythm Uh, but i want your perspective on this because it's something you've noticed about me for a while i think it's Pretty common, I would imagine, uh, with people that you've worked with, where we get in our own way we're in our own head. There's that buffer between thought and immediate action. So some blunting of just our visceral connection and what's going on in the moment. I mean, maybe presence is another way to think about it. The analysis takes us out of the present moment and we don't even realize it. So start us off, see give us a rundown of what this buffer really means. Well, then there's a, a lot of models to
1: buffering. Not only models, but there are many layers to buffering that are very uh, common and they're ordinary for us. They're not extraordinary, they're ordinary. And I'm going to talk about a few. We've always heard, we've, we've often heard the term Pavlovian, right? Pavlov's dog. We've heard the idea of the Stockholm syndrome. We've heard of domestication, colonization, um, various forms of conditioning that are training us to serve a, a master outside of ourselves. And the master could be anything. The master could be your church. The master could be your social circle your community, the master could be the boss at work, your master could be whatever it is, but all of these buffering, these methods of buffering are there in order to allow the medicine of conditioning to saturate into the body with a high degree of ease. Picture a harsh medicine that needs to be time released in order to take its whole effect. Once it's taken its effect, you don't even know you're on that medicine anymore. But you know you can't drive a car. Other people know you can't. You can't do other things that require your presence the same way you did before you took that buffered narcotic. So that's, again, Pavlovian. That's Stockholm. So the minute you feel yourself running free, you're like a well-trained dog that goes back and looks for the leash to hand to the master to put the leash on my neck so I can run. You see, the dog has been conditioned to hand you its leash for it to feel normal. As you said, it doesn't feel natural to be myself. So what you just said. Think about all of us struggling with that. And as you understand the effects of those buffers you can then deconstruct them. You realize as a dog you can run. You can protect yourself. You don't need the buffering, the leashing, the unseen hand of the master to define you. Yet when you do that, there's a whole another world that opens up to you. Oftentimes, that is unfamiliar: the world of personal responsibility, the, per, the world of personal accountability, the world of self mastery, the world of you. It's that world of the the definitive I am. And when I say the definitive I am, it is because in that definition of I am the acknowledgement of life and its evolution and your growth as a human being. When you become aware of the influences of buffering, that is the beginning of unbuffering. doesn't mean you go berserk, you go wild, you suddenly tattoo your face or something like that. That's not what that means. It means that I'm here. I, I can see me away from me. I can see you separate from me, and a part of me. I am clear. And then from there becomes the embodiment of of who you are, the I am. So these buffers are there to allow us to navigate community, the various layers of community, as I said, your church, your family your view of society, your social place in that society, the buy-in to the idea of a hierarchy of society, the, the totem of society, how we buy into that. All of these false narratives, the buffering is there for that reason. The buffering is also there for you to understand your place in nature, those inhibitions why we are slow to venture into unknown water why we are not necessarily fearful but reluctant to go into the forest without having a map even though the map may be incorrect it's a reference it's our security blanket the buffering has told you that the potential danger is high but it's not absolute, but by knowing the buffering, we can start to deconstruct it so we can explore the I am. You are talented and gifted at your ciphering, your writing and your spoken word, and every time you think about it, it betrays you. Your flow is no longer there. Because there is a physiological phenomena associated with thinking. The motor neuronal production in the body moves throughout the nervous system at a certain speed. That electric current moves through the body and turns into motor neuronal packaging. It it, it happens just like electricity moves at the speed of light, but the quantizing of that minute current equals about 120 to 160 miles an hour before we act. That's why if you think about dancing, you're off beat. If you just dance, you're on beat. If you act on uh, a response, for example, if you take time to think about a car accident, you're going to be in a car accident. If you simply guide the car, you can avoid an accident. A baseball player throws a fast pitch at a batter. He swings the bat. If he thinks about swinging the bat, it's always already gone into the catcher's mitt. You see? So that buffering has its place in terms of being a whole being and, and uh, looking at a higher life potential to mitigate suffering, one would want to steward and manage that buffering. When can I take it away and when can I add it? We all have been domesticated, colonized, stockholmed, some way or another. But the therapy for that is the realization of what happened to you. Why did that take place? And does it now serve you? When does it no longer serve you? Again, we, for the sake of mitigating our suffering, have to know when it doesn't serve you. When you're doing your art, whatever else you're doing or whatever else you're connected to outside of that doesn't serve your art. Your art was born of the cosmos, something that was gifted to you by the universe. Like many of us have unique and even extraordinary abilities or gifts that may not be, bring us great notoriety, but they give us life. They give us that glow that makes life worth living. And the thing that we can share with each person is that varied spectrum of ourselves, that individuality. Greater or lesser,
0: major or minor. Let it shine. So let's talk for a second about why we don't do this. Because what you're describing is natural, it seems like a state that we want to be in. One interesting thing about buffering, the whole act of thinking, to me it relates to control. So you want to, there's a party that wants to feel like it knows what's going on. And with me it's, associated with a sense of safety. So if I know what's going on, I just feel more comfortable. If I don't, I worry, okay, am I going to be able to do this? I'm going to screw things up. If I don't understand it, I can't function, I can't proceed. And the irony is that most of what we do, we do without conscious thought. And when you try to think about it, you screw it up. So that perception of safety is 100% incorrect. It's inverted. Not thinking about it gives you the proper outcome. We're thinking about it, even though it makes you feel safe, leads to something uh, that's worse than what you want. And I was reading this book, see, it was about the way that we think and the way the brain is wired. I thought this was pretty interesting. The guy gave an example of driving a car. And he said, okay, just do a quick experiment right now, put the book down, close your eyes, think about driving a car and changing lanes. So you got your hands on the steering wheel, go through the actions and then after you're done with that read the next paragraph in the book so you go through those actions and let's say you're signaling to make a to change lanes and you make you're going one lane to the right so what do you do well you got your hands on the wheel you turn it to the right and then you come back to the center and that's what I did apparently that's what most people do when they go through that experiment but that's actually not what we do in reality so if you do that, you've turned the car at an angle to your original direction. So once you shift into a lane to your right, to get straight, you then have to turn the wheel back past 12 o'clock to the left to straighten things out and then back to the center. And we do all this unconsciously. So when we try to think about what we're doing, we don't even get it right. So obviously the thinking, I mean, it serves some purpose Maybe it helps train us to do things, and that's where conscious awareness comes in. But once we have that training, we need to get rid of the thinking and get into that state of flow. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, How do we get past this sense of needing control or this illusion of safety that comes with the thinking and be able to set that buffering aside? Well, you said it right away. You said, it makes me feel safe
1: which tells you that this idea of safe is an illusion. The way you describe safe is tethered to anxiety. Something bad may happen. So we're building our whole life around looking for no bad things to happen. And as you said, when you try to imagine your mind, you actually realize that you're making bad things happen. If you drive the car the way you imagined yourself doing it, you would kill everybody on the right side of the street be carted away to prison, and truly would not be safe. So, this this false reality that is tethered to no feeling is something that we can be aware of and then govern. How many times a day do people make judgment based on I hope bad things don't happen? How many times a day are you anticipating a dreadful, ominous thing affecting your life in five years. Some people's whole life is built on that. We saw recently in the public theater people attacking um, the the Washington, uh, this big attack. And if you were to go to those people's lives, any of our lives, why did they do that? Why did they go to murder people? You think about what went on in their head that didn't go on in the world. Were they hungry? None of them looked like they had missed a meal. It wasn't like you had hordes of starving people pounding on the cafeteria door. Oh, so that'd be a reason to respond. I have no calories, I want food. I want to feed my children, that wasn't happening. How about my homes are going to be taken? Well, they all look well sheltered. Well, maybe maybe they were lacking in clothing. I didn't see a lot of naked people, nor many people you would want to see naked uh, beating down and and trying to murder people. What they perceived was that their safety was threatened. You see how easy that can happen? by hearing certain words, painting certain pictures in your mind, looking at a vision of a future that is very bleak. But there's nothing in your life experience that supports that picture. Nothing other than what you heard. And in order to hear that, you have to listen to it. And while you're listening to it, for those thoughts to then turn into actions, you have to believe that more than you believe the moment you're in, so you're not present. Anxiety drove those people to do weird stuff like it does all of us, like it does you, like it can do anyone who is not trained. What's the news? What's really happening? Well, I don't know, I just know what I'm doing. I can only know what my condition is. I can only manage a handful of things that are in front of me. That's all any of us can do. But because of the buffering, the conditioning, we're anticipating, imagining, projecting these bleak and ominous things that then motivate us immediately to act in an improper way, be it our health, our relationships, any of that. People will go to their partner and demand information, and they need that information more than they need their partner. So what are you going to do with this information? You see see how crazy it gets? And, and, and that is, now you're acting upon that. It's not real. It's not relevant. And as we work on ourselves, we first see what it is. What is it? It's I've been conditioned this way. That freedom is so scary that I'm constantly patrolling the inner perimeter of my prison to make sure none of the gates are open. I'm looking for the master to put the leash around my neck so I can run in the park. Do you hear how insane that sounds? I'm waiting for leaders who don't know me, have nothing to do with my daily life, to tell me what to do, right? You saw on the news, people were saying, the president told me. Well, I don't know who they are. I've never had a personal relationship with this person. They wouldn't know me from the man in the moon. Why would I do what they say? Now, if they showed up at my door with a gun and said, move over to the left, I'd move over to the left. They said, okay, move a little bit back to the center. I said, okay, I'll move back to the center. Because you have a gun on me. Other than that, I'm not going to do what you say. I don't know you. See, this is what we do when we're unbuffered. People have really bizarre narratives about life for fear of their safety. You listen every day. Well, somebody said this and the stock market went up and the stock market went down because of someone saying something. How do we even buy into a system like that, where rumors, hearsay, can motivate people to materially act in abhorrent ways? So as we become more self-realized, more self-possessed, we don't act on those things. When you have a talent, ability, or gift, just let it shine. Then you say, well, what if people don't like me? Well, they won't like you, not like you, love you, not love you based on anything you're doing. It's going to be based on their choice that you have no control over. A woman said to me, well, what if I do this and my husband leaves me? Well, he's probably going to leave you anyway, no matter what you do, if you have to even ask that question. So you better figure out what your walking orders are. You can't alter people based on your fear. So mastering the awareness of buffering, the stockholming, the colonization of your mind, knowing that you're Pavlov's dog is the beginning of no longer being Pavlov's dog.
0: You understand? Yeah. Yeah, I think that awareness is important. I think for me what's been interesting, I've been on this journey for a while where I have done meditation. I've tried to correct some of the self-destructive habits that I have. This got me a little off guard because I was telling Caitlin earlier, I'm not even aware that it's there. And when I do become aware that it's there, I don't know. It doesn't feel like I have any control of the buffering. It's just there. I don't know what to do with it. And then when I get sufficiently angry or emotional, or you beat me down enough, then something else comes out. Pain. Yeah. Yeah. When there's enough pain, it's like uh, something flips. But well, that's, uh, some some
1: mas- that's why people get into sadomasochism and bondage and all kind of crazy stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's later on tonight. Z. We're we're still doing the podcast right now. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Sick puppies. Yeah, so let's get back on topic. So aside from someone beating you, like let's say that the average person doesn't have someone like you who lovingly thrashes them and whips them into shape. Or let's say that it's me and you're not around and I'm Mm -hmm. going about my day and I want to flow. I want to get rid of this buffering there are probably baseline things that I can do. We talked about meditation, I've got that as a habit. Maybe that has some impact over time. Just being aware of this phenomenon maybe gives me some freedom. The anxiety that you mentioned I think is important. Some sense of surrender. So even if I'm not aware that I'm afraid, there's probably a part of me which is afraid. And just reiterating, I'm just gonna be in the moment I can't worry about the results whatever happens, happens I'm going to surrender to, the process those are some of the things that come to mind when we're talking about this are there other exercises you would recommend? I always say healthy healthy
1: devotional reflection you think about people you admire deities that stand out to you in your mind. Buddha consciousness. That's what gets you through it. That's what offers action and restraint when you need It's when you sit there trembling like Pavlov's dog before you move into your own self. Reflect upon things that you admire and adore, qualities in yourself or others that you are familiar with that says I'm going to be my own hero. I'm going to be my own hero archetype. As I've shared with you many times, I have been fortunate to encounter and seek out wonderful mentors in my life as a young man. And many of them are with me to this day, and even more of them who have gone, haunt me in my conscience all the time. I am here with you because of a promise I made to a dying mentor. I think about him regularly. One of my teachers was sick with COVID, and I just sent him some um, supplements and things like that, and I check on him. And I always think about what they put into me and what I've learned from them. So on my worst days, I allow that learning, that reflection, to govern my behavior. When I am not the best driver of my own destiny, I reflect upon them, and they, they pick up the slack. They are my co-pilots devotional archetypes are my co-pilots hmm. and I, I I have that in my life and it, it's one of the best things in the world so when I start to fall down and I'm no longer capable of, of handling the helm of the self I let them carry me the rest of the way until I'm renewed and when I feel that I burden them too much it awakens me into a a style of servitude to those higher ideas that they have bestowed upon me. When you were in the studio and you would get stuck, it was just your ego. There's no one here that you owe anything to. There's no one here for you to impress or to be judged by. All those things is what I that, that you were going through are the things that I was trying to flush out of you. Give, it, give your gift up to the divine. Give it up to the cosmos and just do what you do. Be who you are. Flow how you flow. Because the absence of that flow corrupts that connection you have to divinity, to the cosmos, whatever you want to call it. And that's why you started crying. That's why Oftentimes I will have an emotional flushing and that's why I said cry all your tears so you can laugh all your laughter. Be as mad as you can be so you can be as happy as you can be. Don't shut it all down. Don't try to buffer it. Don't try to put on the leash to walk in the park. Go free. Be free. Yet also know that with freedom comes great responsibilities, great risk, great challenges. But those are the things that build character. Take responsibility for that. Um, and, And nothing but good comes out at the end. What do I mean by that? Is that you live this life. You live complete. At the end of our days, as I've said to you many times, If the end of the day was tomorrow, the end of your days was tomorrow, and that last breath, did you live it? Did you give it your best? Did you cipher? Did you play your song? That's all you gotta know, man. That's all any of us have to know. Did you love completely? That's how I feel about the people in my life. I suffer from transient depression. I call that transient, it comes and goes, like most people. And I'm haunted not only by the wonderful people in my life, but that they're gone too soon. And sometimes it's so many that the loneliness is overwhelming. Being here without them hurts. Feeling misunderstood or not totally understood, it's the loneliest thing in the world. Aloneness and loneliness are two different things. Some can deal with loneliness, but aloneness is the one. You can be isolated in a way, but to know that there are those you're connected to when you come out of the forest can motivate you to get through the forest no matter how deep and dense it is. So what I do is I surrender. I don't go back into the shielding, the buffering. I just open my heart to everyone. And I can do that because I don't fear anyone. Everything I've ever had has been taken, and I've clawed it back 10 times in this lifetime. What you going to take from me? Because I got it all. I see it in the faces of the people that I'm around all the time. Ben. So much love. So much love. And it's a good love. It's a sweet love. It doesn't require or take from you. It isn't transactional. You know, when I, like when Caitlin was going through her stuff, I, I told her, whatever you need, whatever you, I didn't do that for Caitlyn, I did that for me, because it feels good. I told you about my cousin who just turned 55. I remember her mother being pregnant with her and having this tiny beautiful baby girl. I remember her first words and she thought I was a giant. She thought I was a huge boy, man, and she looked up to me, and I admired her looking up to me, probably one of the first people I remember looking up to me, and I felt like I was on top of the world, and she wanted a doll, came out in the 60s, called a Thumbelina doll, and she couldn't say Thumbelina, she said Dandelina. It's the first word. I said, I'm going to get you that doll. Damn it, last, yesterday, a few days ago, I got her that doll and I'm going to send it to her. I do that for me. She may benefit and may love it, but I can only speak for me. When I see you succeeding at expressing yourself, I'm good. We got Caitlin right back here doing her thing. I'm good. No buffer. Nobody's got a hold on me. I'm not colonized. I'm not domesticated. I'm not on anybody's fucking leash. I'm doing that for me. I get to be free. Because whatever you took, I got it back. Whatever I lost, I gained it. So if tonight is my night, this was a hell of a ride, baby. That's free. So as we go forward, pierce the veil. Pierce through the veil. Own yourself. Because no matter what you do, people will either disapprove or approve of you, no matter what you do. You follow me, then?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I follow you completely. I think it's it's been on my mind, partially because of the spoken word. Partially, more generally, I just think about the baggage that we carry. I don't even know if baggage is the right word. Maybe the restraints. The leash, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, it's leashes from different places, certain ideas of how we have to live what we are not able to lose think about this in terms of lifestyle money homes sometimes i feel like it would just be so free to let it go to say whether we have the money we don't have the money exactly what you said what can you rely on in this life you can rely on yourself you don't want a crutch and the more you hold on the less independent you become you become a slave to whatever you're holding on to trading a, a leash for a rope
1: trading a rope for a chain it's all the same and i'm speaking in terms of definitely the the cosmic aspect of us to be open hearted you have to be strong and enduring you have to take some blows and give some blows. You have to take a punch, give a punch. Take a kick, throw a kick. But you stood, stood up. You lifted. Um, that's how you build your character, the soul. So you want a muscle-bound spirit. You want a, a muscle-bound soul. But you don't get that by not exercising it. Life is filled with uncertainty. Death is certain. Why do we even want to live if we want certainty? That doesn't mean you go out foolheartedly. Accept the the nature of things. Own yourself. Be self-possessed. Acknowledge the gifts of this life. Learn to master diplomacy. Be agreeable. The art of nurturing self overflows into the art of nurturing others. Find joy in another person's joy as you find joy in yourself. know your boundaries what works for you what doesn't be a pioneer of your own soul many people have suppressed their gifts talents for fear of rejection well you're already rejected you just rejected yourself you just rejected the main person that you should be concerned with rejecting is you Strengthen your gifts, strengthen your talents, whatever they happen to be. Then strive for the mundane, the middle path. When you see the chaos in society, it is because people are not at peace with themselves. It's not an outside force. It's not some carnival barker telling you what to do. It's not a clown leader. It's you. You're not at peace with yourself. You find peace with yourself, you're very clear with the goings and comings and the behaviors of all people. You can hear clearer, smell better, hear, see, touch. Your senses are alive. They are unbuffered. So you feel life. You experience life. Again, it is not to be foolhardly, or to shirk your duties. Contrary, it is to be more present in your duties.
0: You follow me? This concept of fear, I think, is so important, and the fear is tied into control. And I think that there's a narrative that governs our life, which is a complete aversion to risk. And maybe people don't think about it in terms of risk, but I think it's just another way of expressing the sentiment that we have, which is we have to know what's happening. We have to know what's coming next. We can't bear the uncertainty of being at a juncture and not knowing whether we're gonna go to the left or the right. And I think that's what I've grown up with. That's probably what is causing a lot of this buffering. I guess I'm seeing it, and maybe surrender is the right way. I mean, maybe that's the best antidote to this, to just say, the hell with it. I'll go with life. I'll surrender to life. I'll go in whatever direction it takes me. We're going to go with life anyway.
1: It's like a riptide pulling you under. This is life. You can fight it. Yeah. You can create the illusion that you're doing all these things. And life takes us anyway. So you can flow and enjoy it more. Or you can fight the current and get dragged into it any damn way. They always say if a riptide gets you, do what? Go with it.
0: Oh, yeah. Also, and go horizontal. Go with it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Caitlin, don't mess it up. Okay, I'm a, I don't know who you've been talking to. I don't even think you know how to swim.
0: I'm a very good swimmer, and I grew up near Lake Michigan, and where the riptides are very gnarly.
1: And the pollution is worse than that. Shouldn't be in that lake anyway. I'm fine now. Are you? No, no, I don't. I'm not. Cancer cancer. (laughs) survivor. Yeah, she's
0: got some algae growing on her back. Yeah. Other than that, creature from the black lagoon. Anything else, folks? Caitlin, you
1: had a question.
0: I wanted to know um, what your thoughts were about flow state.
1: Well, real simple. Um, If you think about the ideas in traditional medicine, flow equals homeostasis. We talked about that the other day in acupuncture. Mm-hmm. The lack of flow means disease. Disease means not at ease. Ease means in flow, in constant flow transition. Isn't that interesting? Disease means not at ease. So the flow state is about being at ease, mentally, physically, emotionally, socially. A person who is not diseased can flow through society, adapt, move through, maneuver. Isn't that interesting? A person that is healthy can flow through the seasons of change in the body. When you're mentally healthy, you can be self-critical. You can analyze yourself, you can make intelligent adjustments in order to stay in a calm and steady mental state, as even keeled as possible between anger and sadness, between mania and depression. You can find a pattern through. So we strive for that flow state, and we avoid congestion, stagnation, which bring us pain, right, the flow state. You're going through some medical stuff. You talked about the ups and downs, and you've handled it like a boss compared. The fear, the sadness, the happy, the relief, the anxiety, all those you're flowing through, you're not stuck in any one state, and it shows. You're very open-hearted about it. You share far more information than we want to know (laughs) about things going on. And, but that's part of the flow state, but also because you have flowed with a community of loving and supportive people, this is accelerating the healing and the rejuvenating of you. So as much as I tease you and all that about it, you're like, whatever, and you just flow. I was eating my lunch today and she was describing, you know, different types of bowel problems she was having because of it and I just kept eating my um, veggie sushi and ginger and something that looked like boo-boo she had brought me and she's describing I just for a moment I went oh. But Caitlin was like, dude, so what? That's the flow state. But again, that flow state existed in the in the biome of a healthy environment you would set up anyway. You see? So if we cover all our bases, and that goes back then as you're working, you're surrounding yourself with supportive people. That was my big concern, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was.
1: Because I knew you would go through this. Mm. So for all of us to be in what Caitlin calls the flow state, there are macro vectors and micro vectors to that. Don't be around people you can't flow with. If you can't share with them the rough stuff, don't share with them the easy stuff. You understand? Yeah. Let them see you fall apart and they shelter you. And when you stand up and you're strong, you pick them up. That's the flow state. I'm glad you brought that up, Caitlin. Thank you.
0: Alright. Well good. I think that's a good discussion on the buffering. I think it's helped me, this concept of surrender that we talked about. I really like this idea of surrounding yourself by people who are supportive, being open-hearted with them. Because you're right, if you're not expressing the good and the bad, you're again suppressing, you're again in that buffering zone. So you can't get past that to the place where whatever you want to express is going to come out. So I think what we can take away from this, at least what I can take away, and maybe the audience will benefit, maybe people have had the same experience that I've had, what I'm taking away is just having an awareness of the buffering. Like most of the things we talk about, awareness is the first step in this, an awareness of the conditioning. For me, it's very deep. It's not something I'm generally aware of. It's not something that I even put labels on like fear. I don't feel like I walk around in a fearful state, but but I must, so just being more aware of that for me is important. And then letting that go. And I think the cosmic perspective Z, we come back to that a lot, that's always important. I mean, if you can get back from the day to day, just think about life and the time we have, it's a short time, what the hell difference does it make if we go in one direction or the other direction if we get exactly what we want, at what cost, at the cost of anxiety, at the cost of being in a cage and never feeling like we're free. It's a comparatively small price to pay, get rid of that band-aid, that feeling of safety, which is an illusion anyway, and then open yourself up and life becomes a lot more interesting. And you hit it, Van. I think about with the buffering
1: that people have, the domestication. It can guide you into a maddening place. I, I hear these discussions people have, and they talk about uh, politicians. That they say, oh, history will look down upon you." Do you know they don't care?
0: <laughs>
1: they don't. They're right here, right now. They are feral, rabid dogs that consume and consume. They don't care what history says about. So get that out of your buffered, colonized, socialized, Pavloved mind. That they give a damn about history. History is his story. It's not the story. History doesn't matter. I'm sorry it doesn't matter. History is told by whoever he is. I don't know who he is. Who is he that told his story? It's not the story. Can we unbuffer? Can we clear our own mind? These people don't care. They Did you see them? They, people were uh, stealing out of the Capitol. Just moving out. Just It's like when I go to Motel 6. I just steal all the sheets and pillowcases. Hell, don't let me go to a nice hotel. I remember I, stole, I stayed at the Waldorf for a week in New York. I still have dishes and pillowcases and silverware from the Waldorf. I don't care about history. Huh. They forgot about me at the Waldorf already. Cleaned them out for the price I paid to stay there. This is back in the 90s, I think. I stayed there, I think it was 800 a night. For 800 a night, I'm taking everything. I think I still have the television set. So of course these people are pillaging the White House. They don't care. There's always showing, stuff is already showing up on eBay the bust of Abraham Lee. (laughs) You don't care what you think about them, what you'll write about them. I don't know who he is, who wrote his story. All you have is your story, the story. Focus on that. Free your mind, your ass will follow.
0: (laughs) All right. That's some good advice. I kind of got lost in that whole history discussion, but I like that. Free your mind. And the ass will follow or your ass will follow? Free your mind and your ass will follow. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe ass would follow. I got excited for a second. Okay. Well, great. You'll get all that when you become famous. Yeah. All right. Thank you, ladies
1: and gentlemen. See you next week.
0: If you enjoyed the show please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.